0: Hello and welcome to Word for the Day. This is Father Pete Matthews from St. Patrick's Anglican Church in Lexington, Kentucky. And on today's Word for the Day, we're going to talk about Lent. Let me begin by apologizing for not getting a post out last week. Um, My schedule was sort of topsy-turvy, and at the end of the week I realized, oh my gosh, I had not done a podcast. So I apologize for that, but I'm going to today kind of cover some stuff I would have done last week. And also get into a second week of Lent. So, um, if you remember, Lent is the season that prepares us for Easter. And it's a lead-in to Holy Week, which is the week where we start the Sunday with remembering Christ's triumphal, triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We go to the Upper Room on Monday, Thursday. And we go to the Cross on Good Friday. Holy Saturday, Silent. In our parish, we... We come that evening and move from Lent into Easter with our Easter Vigil. It's the first celebration of Easter. Then Easter Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection. And Lent is a season of penitence and preparation designed to get us ready to enter into the fullness of joy at Easter. So it kind of has these two dimensions. It has sort of a personal formation side. Um. But more importantly, actually, it has a liturgical role. And um, it's it's meant in our prayers and our worship and all that we're doing liturgically to get us ready to enter into the worship of Christ at Easter. So even our fasting, if we're doing that, or other disciplines are meant for that. So, you know, it's one of my hobby horses is the tendency, I think, in our modern Western and American culture, to, to, you know, we we prioritize the individual over the community. And uh, they're both obviously important. Every individual has eternal value. So sometimes people in individualism. I think that's wrong. But we do tend to think about our Christian life as primarily my individual life as a disciple. And the church resources me to live that. And that bleeds into our Lent, where Lent becomes mostly about me and what I need to get done to grow in Jesus. That's really important. And I hope you're doing stuff like that. I sure am. But Lent is primarily a liturgical season that shapes the worship of the church and prepares us for Easter. And the motif, and I mentioned this in a past podcast and I've mentioned it before, is the motif of wilderness. So that's why in the first Sunday of Lent, the homily for that Sunday focused on Jesus going to the wilderness. And um, in my homily, I really focused on Jesus facing temptation because in that text in the Mark version that we read, that's really what's emphasized. But there's two other stories about Jesus going to the wilderness. And of course, his temptation is there, but there's more going on. There's more implications than you can tease out in one sermon or one homily. And so, you know, one of the one of the ways we draw from the wilderness motif in Lent is the idea that. We take a season to sort of slow down, quiet down, retool, refocus. And so in the same way that Israel went to the wilderness for 40 years, Jesus went to the wilderness for 40 days. We go through Lent for 40 days and we go into a wilderness season, a season where we kind of pull back from our normal um, practices and refocus on the Lord. So that that quieting, that sometimes fasting from things, is meant to to get us in touch with our need, so we're ready to receive the cross and the resurrection afresh. Second thing about Lent is it's penitential. It's a season of repentance, and it's such a an important and healthy thing to do in our spiritual lives to, uh to remember that we're mortal and to remember that we' are sinners. And, you know, in in Christian circles, you can kind of go to one extreme or another. Some circles are so focused on our sinfulness that you'd almost get the sense that Jesus didn't die for our sins and give us salvation. Other traditions so want to emphasize that now in Christ we're children of God, that people won't even say they're sinners. And I think both extremes are just really unhealthy. In Jesus Christ, we are adopted sons and daughters of God, and we are forgiven and we're declared righteous. But we're still broken sinners. And, you know, the other side of the Christian life isn't just what God has done for us, but what he does in us. And if we forget that we're sinners, um, you know, that can cultivate pride, that can cultivate inattention to our spiritual life and our need for continuing grace to grow in Christ. So both are important. Lent is a season where the weight is more on. Our mortality and our sinfulness. So it's a a little grayer because of that. The reason for that though is joy. It's to remember our brokenness um, so that we can see more clearly God's grace. You know however, however deep my sin goes and the truth is for all of us it goes deeper than we realize God's grace goes even deeper. No matter how far our sin goes, God's grace goes farther. And so as we revisit our own brokenness, we're able to really be stunned and overjoyed by all that Jesus has done for us, um, especially when he went to Jerusalem and went to the cross and rose from the dead on Easter. Think, think of the story that showed up at the, the woman who showed up at the publican's house and washed Jesus' feet. And, and the, the, the Pharisee or the publican was, uh, excuse me, not publican, that's the wrong word. That's an old word for tax collector. The Pharisee, he was at the house of a Pharisee, messed that up. And the Pharisee just stunned that Jesus is letting this sinful woman, as the way it's described in the text, you know, do this for Jesus. It's so inappropriate. And so Jesus says, basically, to this guy's name, Simon, he goes, Simon, let me ask you a question. If someone's forgiven much, will they love much or love little? And someone who's not forgiven much, will they love much or love little? And he says, "Well, the one who's forgiven knows they're forgiven of more. They're going to be much more appreciative. They're going to love more." Jesus, Jesus says, "Yeah, right." And so, that's kind of the spirit of Lent. It's like we're remembering that we're we're all like the sinful woman. That's that's the person, the story we're supposed to identify with, and then we hear the words of grace and love and forgiveness in responding greater love. So Lent is meant to help cultivate, you know, a deeper love for Jesus by seeing our brokenness, but seeing how greater his grace is. So in some sense, Lent, um, you know, it can be talked about in a way that's so much about us. Well, I'm doing this on Lent. I got to fix myself on Lent. I got to, me, me, Lent, me. And it's like, well, yeah, but Lent really is about Jesus and really about the gospel. It's meant to take us out of ourselves and see Jesus more clearly. So I hope this Lent you experience that. You know, even if you're not like giving up something, just the the worship of the church, your own personal prayer times, just your reflections, that you're sort of putting yourself in a place so that when Holy Week and Easter comes, you can really just rejoice in God's grace afresh and let that renew and encourage you your heart, okay, let's talk about the penitence part of Lent um it penitence is really a good thing. repentance is really a good thing, and um you know one of the things that can be a really great practice in Lent is to confess your sins so um if you go to church on Sunday at, at a liturgical church like ours, we say a general confession. And then some of you probably do what I do and use like uh, the Book of Common Prayer, some of their liturgical form for your daily prayers. And there's a general confession, but it's also really healthy to specifically confess our sins. And so there's a couple Lenten practices you might want to consider that are really helpful. One is just on your own with the Lord, maybe if, if you can find the time. I know for some of us, our, our lives are busy. We have a house full of people. It's hard to do. If you can't do this, don't feel bad. But if you can, it might be worth the time. Is to find a place to get alone, be quiet, and uh, sit with the Lord. Maybe open open the Scriptures to the Ten Commandments, and and just walk through and pray through each of the commandments, and let it prompt you to ask the question, Lord, how have I broken that commandment? Not just in action, but in my thoughts and my attitudes. So, so for example, where it says in the Ten Commandments, "You should not kill" or "You shall not murder." Well, if you know the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, "Well, look, if I hate someone, I'm a murderer. There's murder in my heart." So, you want to kind of use that level, and just as things come to mind, just confess them. Just sort of do a house cleaning. That can be really good for your soul, and the reason for that, um, and I. I say this a lot, I realize if you're a regular listener, but I always know there's new listeners and sometimes new believers that listen, and I really want to make sure this is clear for folks. Once we put our faith in Jesus and receive the finished work of the cross as our salvation, um, if we fall into sin again, we we don't just lose our salvation. Now there's a debate in the church about whether people can walk away from faith. I tend to think they can, but that's An utter walking away and rejecting of Jesus, not, I fell today and fell into sin. So, in one sense, when I come to faith in Jesus, I'm in an overarching sense, I'm forgiven. All my sins are forgiven so that I can have a relationship with God. But as I live out that relationship and I commit individual sins, then my fellowship with God can get a little bit choked off. I mean, just think about in a family relationship. You know, you you are part of that family or like like in a marriage. I'm I'm married to my wife, Trudy, and we made vows on july eighth, nineteen eighty nine, and those vows shape our marriage. But along the way, you know, we've disagreed, we've had arguments, we've hurt each other's feelings, and it didn't end our marriage, but it but it it sort of clogged up the fellowship and the closeness, and we say we're sorry, and it restores that. That's a good analogy of why we kind of confess sins. It, it keeps the channel with God clean and open. And it's just good for your soul to, you know, periodically do that. And Lent's a great season, a good prompt to do that once a year. So you might want to think about doing that. Another practice, God, I, I, hope I, didn't, I hope I'm I hope not repeating myself. I apologize if I am. I didn't go back and listen to my Mac last podcast. Um, but if I am, have mercy on me. Maybe you need to hear this again. But another practice, especially in Orthodox, Anglican, uh, Catholic, and some Lutheran churches, is the practice of sacramental confession. And what that is, is that's the practice where you go to a priest and you out loud confess your sins. Now, in Anglicanism, we offer that. Why do we do it? Well, we don't do it because... as some people might think, because you have to confess your sins to a priest to get forgiven. That's not what we teach. We call it a pastoral practice, and it's a thing that no one ever has to do. Maybe some, the Holy Spirit, say, I really want you to do it, but anyone can. And it's really there to sort of um, take a, a deeper step of opening myself up to the Lord in the in the presence of someone else but also to hear from that person uh, um, out loud words of forgiveness. So oftentimes, you know, when you confess by yourself, you, you thank God he's forgiven you. But there's this power when someone who has spiritual authority granted by the church to declare forgiveness, a priest or a bishop, and says, you are forgiven in the name of Jesus. Sometimes that can really release you from stuff in two ways. Sometimes people have certain sins that their conscience is just gripped by this and it's so hard to let go of it and and to to say it out loud to someone and then hear words of forgiveness can be so liberating and freeing and just release the burden of their conscience. Also, sometimes there are just areas that are so thorny and sort of so so like embedded in our lives. It just so hard to rip them out, and somehow verbalize. Sometimes verbalizing them out loud in front of someone can really bring a release. Now, how that works is there's there's some there's some guidelines and some rules. Um, confession is under a seal, we say, and what that means is the, the priest is sort of sitting in the place of God, and God purposes to forget all of our sins. It says in Scripture, once we confess them. And so if I hear a confession, once I declare words of forgiveness, I i can, I can can't talk to anyone about that. I can't even talk to the person who confesses about it. Now, they, of course, can come back to me if they want to. That's their prerogative. But I don't ever talk about it again. It's completely secret, completely private. It's between that person and God and me. So that's really important to know. It's a complete safe place. There's complete confidentiality, and that's how that works. That's number one. Number two, when I usually do it, um, what I, I I like to meet with people in a chapel if I can. where There's a communion table, an altar, and I ask the person to sit and look at the altar, and I sit beside them and sort of um, uh, look at them from the side so they don't talk to me. They talk to God. I, I listen to them. Confess to the Lord, and they they bring that to the Lord. And then um, usually I have people um, kind of write out what they want to confess. They could just have bullet points, or sometimes people write a letter. And then I encourage people to to be not super specific, but not general. So let's say your issue is a sin of anger. You don't want to come to confession and go, Lord, I confess that I struggle with anger. That's not really confessing a sin. That's confessing a general struggle. You you would want to say something like, "Lord, um, you know, last week and the week before, and for a number of months, I've been really uh, losing my temper with my children, and that's wrong. And I know it. I want to confess that, especially last night when I said this. That's pretty. That's specific enough. You don't have to go into graphic detail, in and especially you know if if like sometimes people confess sexual sin, you don't, you need to name the sin, you don't need to tell me about what happened, does that make sense? I don't need to say any more there, do I, you know, um, I was sexually immoral in this situation by doing this, boom, that's all you need to say, it's specific enough to name it, and not sort of try to get around it, but there's no need to be graphic, and so that's what I encourage you to do as well, and then, um, well, there's a little ritual we follow in the Book of Common Prayer of a small liturgy. And I invite the person, we kind of get ready, we say a prayer together. They they make their confession. And then if it seems appropriate, I might offer words of counsel. And to be honest with you, most of the time when I offer words of counsel, it's not like, well, here's how to fix that sin. It's more like, you know, I just want to encourage you about God's grace. Really encourage you and and, and affirm you in coming Um, Once in a while, I might go, hey, you know, if you're really, this is a long-term struggle, you might want to try this to get over it. And then I might say, is is there anything else that's come to your mind that maybe, you know, you didn't think about or you thought about but didn't want to say? It's okay. If you need to get something off your chest, go ahead. Once they're all done, I say words of absolution and we're done. And usually when I do a a sacramental confession, it's like 15, 15 minutes and it's really only longer than that if we sort of talk a little bit before and talk a little bit afterwards. So um um any priest in the church can do that. So if you're St. Patrick's Anglican, I can hear those. Um our one of our other priests, Andy Marks, she can hear confessions and Nathan Sharp as well. So if you're part of St. Patrick's, you know, uh reach out to one of us if you want to do that and we'll help you do that. Get prepared for that. It can be a really great uh, a real great ministry, and and it's something to do during Lent that might encourage you and help you. Um. Okay, wilderness motif, confessing your sins. I want to talk about fasting now. I think I talked about this last time, but I I didn't really dive in. No, I think I did. Let me let me let me got, go there. Um, as you know, I do these podcasts. They're really meant to be in house with our parish and you know, other people outside the parish. listen and send some folks you know, around the country and the world who have connection or parish, listen to them. So I don't script them out. It's just Pastor Pete, Father Pete talking. So that's why sometimes I'll start something and go, let me not go there. Um, but let me let me do this. Um, as we get closer, I'll talk more about it. But I want to do just a little bit about Holy Week right now so that you can anticipate for the rest of Lent um, getting ready for Holy Week. So that's the highest um the those are the highest feast days in the church in the in the calendar of the church and the first sunday is palm sunday often called palm sunday slash the sunday of the passion and um sometimes some churches only focus on palm sunday some churches do palm sunday then also include the crucifixion and to be honest with you, that's a historical adjustment in the last few decades because so many people don't come out for Good Friday worship. So the church um, kind of does that on Sunday um, beforehand, so people don't don't miss that piece before they come back for Easter. And so um, we do that because we have a lot of family, young families in our church can't always make it out for holy day services, and I want I don't want our folks to make sure we think about the cross before we come back for Easter. But the, the, the high point of that service is is processing with palms. And if the weather allows, doing it outside is a way to, to kind of enter in and participate in the entrance to Jerusalem. So we go to Jerusalem with Jesus that week. And then um, in our liturgy of our church, we start a service on Thursday called the Triduum, or the Three Great Days, or the Great Three Days. You can say it different ways. And it's one long service of worship that begins on Monday, Thursday and ends um at Easter. If you have an Easter vigil, it ends at the vigil. If you wait till if you don't have the vigil, it ends at Easter Sunday, Easter Sunday. And the way we mark it not ending is there's no blessing given given at the end of Monday, Thursday, or Good Friday, or Holy Saturday. It's not given until we get to Easter. So even though we're not together the whole time, the sort of the the posture we take as the church is we're in worship for three days. We're in a state of worship for those kind of three days with Jesus as we enter this high, high, holy season. And it's really inviting us to, to really see the gospel afresh and to, to know it intellectually, but to see it, to feel it, to taste it, to touch it. Um, that's, that's really the, the, the drive of these Holy Week celebrations and to invite the Holy Spirit to do a deeper work in us around those truths. So I want to encourage you as you're sort of planning out your Lent and you look ahead, um, if you at all can, I'd encourage you to, to come out for, for every service. Um, so Monday, Thursday is where we remember the, the, the Last Supper. And Monday is a Latin word that comes. It's related to the word mandatum, which means command. And it's the 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 place where the night where Jesus has a new commandment I give you that you love one another. So Monday Thursday, just a little tidbit. It's not Monday Thursday. It's Monday Thursday. There's no A between the D and the Y. Just, just so you know that little little priest liturgical pet peeve there. Monday, not Monday. Okay, sorry, sorry. to Be uh, Picky there, and then um, the Good Friday, and that's where we we go to the cross, and um, in our Anglican liturgical practice, there's no Eucharist at Good Friday. Um, sometimes churches distribute already consecrated Holy Communion. Um, we we generally don't do that, but that's that that can be done. But that's not a Eucharist. That's just a distribution of pre-consecrated elements. Um, but. But the church says, this is a time um, to enter into the darkness of Good Friday. And the Eucharist is a celebration. So we, 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 we sort of step back from that and go to the cross. And the service is usually quiet, simple, penitential, bare. It's Good Friday. Then there's Holy Saturday. And some churches have... Are called Holy Saturday services, and that's Jesus is in the grave. We're between Good Friday and Easter. Um, we we won't do that at St. Patrick's. We'll do a an Easter vigil, and that's a about a two hour service. And it and the first part is is it's still Lent. We're wrapping up Lent, and we're we're coming out of Holy Week. We're coming out of Good Friday. Jesus is in the grave, and then in the middle of the service we acclaim the resurrection and it turns into Easter and we celebrate and we go from lights being out, to lights being on. And, um, we, we really, really just, just enter into Easter and then come back on Sunday for our church in the afternoon and celebrate Easter Sunday, the resurrection that Jesus is alive. He really is alive. And so I just want to encourage you if you can to, to, to attend those services, um, you know, if if you have kids and, um, you know they have to come. The way we do our services, uh, we have different stuff available. It's okay to have them come. They have to crawl around, and make noise, whatever. But um, if you can, I encourage you to do it. Don't feel guilty if you can't. It's not like you know th- this is a thing that the Holy Spirit led the church to develop but I wouldn't want to see it as a, a command to bind someone's conscience. Like if you can't make it for good reasons that you're yeah a less than stellar Christian, don't hear that at all. But I think you'll be blessed. No, let me, let me say it different. You will be blessed. You'll be encouraged and it will help you to enter fully into the season. Well, this is a long podcast. Like I said, I'm, I want to do long weekly episodes for a while rather than one every day. So let me wrap this up and um, just say God bless, have a great week, and you'll hear from me next week. Take care.